When the going gets tough, the path to success is to face our challenges head on. Pretty common advice, and usually pretty solid. But what happens when those challenges aren't just in front of us, but coming at us from all sides? That's what it feels like when you're surrounded by toxic people, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Maintaining a work-life balance keeps getting harder, but it doesn't have to. This is The Big Balance, a podcast for anyone struggling to stay ahead or even just keep up with work, life, and everything in between. Join us each week for practical advice you can actually apply to get a little sanity back in your day. Hello and welcome back to The Big Balance. I'm Brian, your only host this week, as John once again had some social obligations to take care of. Meanwhile, I'm here talking to myself in this big empty room on a Sunday afternoon, feels a bit strange, and talking about what you may ask. Well, today we're going to talk about toxicity. In this case, toxic people, be they coworkers or clients or really anybody that we come in contact with on our job. We've all had these people in our lives. In fact, I mentioned one such person in my company in our last episode. If you need some context for today, go back and give that a listen. Otherwise, on with the show. The core concept of teamwork is this notion that, hey, we're all in this together, supporting each other as we solve a collective challenge. Too often, though, teams in the corporate world fight against each other just as hard as the challenge they're allegedly brought together to solve. If you've ever been in a toxic work environment, you know how difficult it can be to function. We've all been told to face challenges head on, and honestly, it seems like really simple advice. But there's a flaw in this thinking when it comes to a toxic job. It assumes that all of these challenges are coming at us head on. But what do we do when we're being hit from all sides? How do we catch our breath when our back is always against one wall or another? This is not an easy problem to solve. But hey, let's spend some time trying. Let me tell you about the least stressful job I ever had. Back in my teen years, I worked as a janitor to make some money over the summer. It was physically demanding, but I never really went home tired. Fast forward to today, and I'm a stereotypically sedentary office worker. I sit at my desk for hours a day, and yet, by the end, I'm still exhausted. Now, plenty of people will say complex mental tasks can be just as exhausting as physical tasks, and I don't disagree with that. But I don't think that's the whole story either. When I was a janitor, I had one challenge to deal with. There was a pile of ick, and I had to clean up said pile. That was it. That was one challenge and one solution. Now, let's look at the challenges of any given office worker's life. We have a project that needs to get done. Fair enough, getting that work done is more or less like cleaning up that pile of grime. But beyond doing that job, we're also managing client relationships, whether they're internal clients or external, the customers that pay our bills, That's a whole other issue. You could be doing the best job in the world, but that won't stop a surly-by-nature client from being in a permanently bad mood. But that's not the only relationship we have to manage. No one's an island, and we're often completing projects as part of a team. Now, most of my colleagues, wonderful people, great work ethic. Others, I'll just say, less so. Poor workers, bad tempers, or some kind of combination of both. 
Sitting above our peer group are the head honchos who are constantly pushing for faster turnaround time with fewer resources and even higher quality levels. As the old saying goes, I can do cheap, fast, or high quality, but you only get to pick two of those at a time. Well, gone are the days leadership understood that truth. Oh, and just for good measure, let's throw in office politics in the ring too. It's not enough to manage our actual work. We also have to watch our backs for those ladder climbers just itching to throw us under the bus to achieve, well, whatever their agenda is. Now, these sound like separate issues, but they really come down to a single problem, a toxic workplace, or at least a select set of toxic people who are weighing us down. So let's go back to that old gig as a janitor. Yes, the work was simpler, but it isn't the complexity of my job that's exhausting. It's all those other things, all those potentially toxic challenges coming from all sides that add up together. And it can be too much. I started thinking about today's episode a couple days ago. It was about 8.30 in the morning, and I was brewing a cup of coffee while thinking to myself how great my job would be if all I needed to worry about was doing my job. Why does it have to be this way? Why do I need to accept that the workplace toxicity is just a regular part of my job? Do I have to at all? I'd say no. And it isn't just me. Millions of workers see these toxic elements growing in their own organizations and are doing something about it. The last few years have been great for showing the ultimate impact of a toxic culture. With a good number of workers job hopping recently, we can see how a strong company culture compares to a toxic one. Let's look at a few examples based on research out of MIT's Sloan Management Review. Donald Saul, Charles Saul, and Ben Zweig put together some numbers on attrition across several key industries that are pretty telling. First, we'll take a look at airlines. They've been front and center in the media thanks to the disruption they saw as travel essentially ground to a halt during the pandemic, and plenty of layoffs made the news, followed by the trials and tribulations trying to find those employees as travel picks back up. Now, when you look for airlines with a good company culture, Southwest typically ranks as one of, if not the standard in the industry. Attrition at Southwest is about 3.6%. Is that good? Let's compare to a less well-regarded competitor. JetBlue gets some pretty low marks when it comes to the perception of that company's culture. I found a great quote that would work really well in our show's next installment of the Rage Quit series, and it goes like this. There's nothing to be excited about. Management has no vision. Middle managers with no experience. A system set up to pit workers against each other. I really could not imagine any other major airline operating in such a fashion. Now, how does this translate into attrition? Well, JetBlue is sitting at around 7.6%, just over twice that of Southwest. And that's far from the biggest gap in that MIT research. How about SpaceX? They've built a very attractive public image, thanks in no small part to a constant stream of media attention and a larger-than-life and extremely visible founder. Comparatively, good old Boeing almost feels a bit boring. But once again, culture prevails. SpaceX's attrition rate sits at around 21.2% versus Boeing's 62 Speaking of going boldly where nobody's gone before, let's talk about enterprise. Well, okay, not that enterprise. In this case, the car rental company. 2.9% attrition rate versus competitor Hertz's 13.2. Now, these are some big swings, big enough that you'd think leadership at these reputationally lagging companies would, I don't know, care. In all, this research suggests that workers in a toxic job may be four times more likely to jump ship than those with a more hospitable environment. And we don't even need to jump right to that nuclear option of quitting a job and going elsewhere. 
the effects of toxicity aren't black and white, and they start gradually impacting us well before we actually decide to leave a company. Wrestling with toxicity causes us to get less done, which starts us on a very bad spiral since getting less done draws more negative attention and toxicity. Rinse and repeat. Toxicity also manifests itself in physical ailments. On the mild end, we have headaches and the inability to focus as pretty common examples, and those only get worse as time goes on. Hypertension and cardiovascular disease, nothing you want to play with, are also some of the pretty mean side effects of a toxic environment. And worst of all, we don't leave it at work. We bring it home. When we don't have a good method of dealing with toxic employees, we often vent it at home. Our friends and family don't deserve that. We're mad at this or that horrible project lead. Not our spouses, not our kids. Now, I have some good and bad news when it comes to toxicity. The good news? It exists at a purely conceptual level. There's no outside force that brings it into existence, and there's no physical requirement for toxicity to remain in our companies. It exists because we let it exist. And this means we collectively have the power to eliminate it, or at least mitigate it, in our own environments. Now that happens to be the bad news too. It takes a collective effort to solve it. And those bad bosses, those ladder climbers, they're going to give up on a company culture that they see benefiting them, even if it's bad for everybody else. So let's take a quick break now that we've framed our issue. And when we come back, let's see what we can do about it. There are two ways we can fight against a toxic culture in our companies. We can reactively try to manage its effect on us or proactively disrupt that culture. The former is certainly going to be easier, at least in theory, but only the latter can actually change anything. So let's start big and talk about disrupting that toxic culture. The first question we need to ask ourselves is whether or not company leadership knows about the issue and, if so, cares enough about solving it. They certainly should care, but I'll borrow a little corporate speak to say that plenty in the collective C-suite spend so much time at that 30,000-foot level, they don't really have any idea of what's happening at the 3-foot level. It's essentially the opposite of not seeing the forest for the trees. They want to guide the growth of that forest without recognizing the role that each tree plays in that goal. For the moment, let's say they don't see the issue and could be brought to care about fixing it. What can we do? We need to frame this issue in a way that they care about. So-and-so is being mean to me. It's not really a compelling argument, at least for them. The impact, however, very well could be. So-and-so's behavior is leading to attrition, or is pushing back timelines, or is compromising our project. Whatever the business outcome is, that's how you frame the problem. And this goes for teammates as well as customers. They may be always right, as the saying goes, but you can bet management will push back on a bad client behavior if it's cutting into profits. Remember that you're one person, and any complaints will be your word against somebody else's. If that someone else is maybe above you in that chain of command, I guarantee you're going to lose every time. And this is where numbers are really important. Multiple people raising this toxic behavior to management is harder to write off. And speaking of, even better than multiple accounts are hard numbers. If you can quantify the impact, lost revenue, increased timelines, or lower quality, then you have a direct line into a leadership-level pain point. 
Now, before you start planning your strategy of talking to your C-suite, there's another important question that you need to ask yourself. How much are you willing to stick your neck out to make this happen? Remember, there will be plenty of people between you and the headiest of honchos that believe a toxic culture works in their favor. They'll leverage that broken culture to make your life miserable if you upset that rotting apple cart. So if a personal risk isn't worth the reward, let's talk about some ways to manage a hostile environment for ourselves. But before I do, one final word of warning I'll leave with here. A lot of people think they should confide in HR when it comes to these issues. That sounds like a good idea, right? That's HR's job. They support employees, in this case by being that neutral third party to disputes and helping the communication process. Well, in a word, no. Among HR's most important jobs in a company is to stop said company from being sued. No more, no less. They are not your friend. And if you have an issue with any member of management, don't tell HR anything you would not tell that person. Because by going to HR, you're basically doing that with a few extra steps. Now, on to reacting to toxicity that we either can't or choose not to fight. I'll start with what I think is the least likely scenario here. Maybe that toxic person isn't so bad. Maybe they're having a rough day or week or even month. For the, I think the third time in a row, I'm going to call back to an old episode, Your Coworkers Aren't Jerks, back from September 7th last year. If that's the case, a little bit of introspection can help us in seeing the bigger picture and maybe helping somebody in need. But I think we can all tell when somebody's making a lifestyle out of poor behavior. For those people, the worst thing we can do is sink to their level. Now, I know this is advice that every parent gives to their kids when it comes to bullies, and it sounds cheesy. But fighting on their terms and in their turf doesn't just give them an advantage. It also makes the whole relationship a race to the bottom. Winning a toxic cage match really just earns you the crown of king or queen jerk. And if we step back, we'd realize that. But stepping back is hard. We all have this lizard brain at the core of how we function, and we can't escape a good old-fashioned fight-or-flight response. It's a very useful thing when chasing down prey or running from predators, but horribly confused when it comes to trying to interpret modern-day life in the office. I'll be completely honest here. I have a real hard time not vying for that king jerk crown often, which is why this episode is important for me. Nobody likes backing down, and I'm not saying anybody should be a pushover. I'm just saying make sure what you're fighting for is actually worth it. But let's say rising above is too hard, or you already burned that bridge by the time you got to this episode, and now you're stuck with this jerk. Or are you? Mobility seems to reign supreme in a lot of companies these days, so strive for a promotion into a different team or even just a lateral move away from your company's problem child. If all else fails, you always have the option of looking for a new job elsewhere, as the numbers from MIT have clearly shown is possible. Don't think of it as a failure to handle them. Consider it a tactical retreat or the pursuit of greener pastures. If a toxic person is embedded in your organization, well, they're probably not going anywhere, and they're not going to change on their own. In this case, any move is going to be a good move. To put it a different way, don't blame a clown for acting like a clown. Ask yourself why you keep going to the circus. So that's going to about do it for us. And by us, of course, I mean me, because John is not here. But thanks for joining us anyway, and we'll look forward to seeing you here next week when John returns and we have a bit more of an organic conversation once again. Thanks for listening to the Big Balance Podcast. 
Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and drop us a comment while you're there. Until next time! Caught me right in the feels with that one, John. My heart did grow a few sizes that Christmas.